Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to This Is How You Bless the People by Reverend Peter Yonker. Let's pray for a blessing on the reading and preaching of God's Word. Please pray with me. Lord God, send your Spirit on us in this place. Everything we do here, Lord, depends on your action and your Spirit, our singing, our praying, and certainly my preaching, Lord. The power is not in us, it is from you working through us. So fill us, fill my words, fill our reading, fill our listening, so that your name may be glorified and we may be people of your blessing in the world. In Christ's name, amen. The Bible passage that I'm preaching on tonight is um, a Bible passage that you have probably heard recited more often than any other piece of scripture. The only possible competitors would be the Lord's Prayer and 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. I'll leave you to puzzle what that is. Those are the only possible competitors because this is a piece of scripture that for most of us, certainly for me, and for people in other traditions, at the end of a worship service, the pastor holds up his or her hands over the congregation and recites these words, these words from the middle of our text, which is Numbers 6, verse 22 through 27. Let's read it. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we we may frequently hear these words in church, but I don't think we frequently hear a sermon on them. So as I ruminated on what I thought I should preach on tonight, I've never preached on this text, I said, why not uh, preach on the Aaronic blessing? The Aaronic blessing, that's what they call this, as in Aaron, not the ironic blessing, the Aaronic blessing, A-A-R-O-N, the, the blessing that the Lord taught Aaron and the priests to give to the people. Sometimes the most familiar words contain unexpected treasure, and, and that's certainly what I found this week. And I would like to share with you what I found, and I'm going to do it in, in five points of various varying lengths. And some of these points will simply be interesting things about that blessing that that I think you would enjoy, I certainly enjoyed. And some of these things will go to the heart of God's way with us, his people. So first, first thing I'd like to say about this blessing. This blessing is a nearly perfect little piece of poetry. It's wonderful in the English when you hear it, but when you study it in the Hebrew, it is exquisitely crafted. And let me try to give you a sense of that. You start by counting the words, okay? It's made up of three lines. The first line has three words in the Hebrew. The second line has five. And the last line has seven. Three, five, seven, the number of completion and ending in peace. You can also count the letters. The first line of the blessing has 15 Hebrew letters, the second line has 20, and the third line has 25. 15, 20, 25, the symmetry continues. You can also count the syllables. 
The first line has 12 syllables, the second line has 14 syllables, the third line has 16. So you can see the whole thing is constructed very artfully to have this sort of sense of buildup. It gives a sense of crescendo and then resolves into peace. And I think that even in the English, you have a sense of that. When someone speaks these words at the end of the service as a blessing, you can, you can feel it sort of build up and then it resolves into peace. Exquisitely crafted poetry. Second thing about this blessing. This blessing has been centrally important to God's people for a long, long time. In 1979, uh, a group of archaeologists were working in the Hinnom Valley, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And in their dig, they found two little amulets, amulets, which are like pendants, okay? They had a little hole in them so you could hang them around your neck. Two amulets. And onto these amulets was scratched in the silver um, the words of these blessings. When they dated these amulets, they dated from the 7th century B.C. So these amulets came from before the Babylonian exile. They are some of the most ancient scripture that we've seen written down, okay? The most ancient text of scripture. So it shows that right from the very earliest times, these words were extremely important, extremely dear to God's people, so dear that they literally bore them next to their heart. Third point, and this is the meat of the sermon, and it's gonna be longer. And that's the content of the blessing itself. The first thing you need to understand about blessing in Scripture is, is that when, when you blessed someone in Scripture, and when you blessed someone, especially in the Old Testament, it wasn't just wishing them well. It wasn't just like saying good morning. It wasn't like saying Gesundheit after they sneeze. There was something that was being transferred from the person who did the blessing to the one who was blessed. When you bless someone, you, you gave them something spiritual. If you want an example of that, think of Isaac blessing Jacob, right? When Isaac blessed Jacob, he literally gave Jacob the rights of the firstborn in such a way that he could no longer give those blessings to Esau. So, so that's what a blessing is. It, it's, it, it transfers something from one person to the other. It's not just a sound that you hear with your ear. It's something that's impressed on your heart. So what is God impressing on our heart in the words of this blessing. Well, let's look. Three lines. The subject of each of the lines is the Lord, Yahweh. He's the subject of each of those sentences. And each of the lines also has two verbs. So there's three pairs of two verbs which tell us what's being impressed on our hearts. The first line, the two verbs are, he blesses us and he keeps us. So those are words promising God's protection on our life, that in all the trials and tribulations, he will put a hand on our shoulder and he won't let go. It's the same word that you hear in Psalm 121, where it says, the keeper of Israel watches over you and neither slumbers nor sleeps, which is the, the text the choir just sang for all of you who are paying attention. So it's, it's that sense of keeping. And now that doesn't mean that nothing bad will happen to us. But it means that in the midst of our troubles, when everything else seems shaking, his hand will be on us and we will be kept. Second pair. 
Line two says that the Lord will make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. This tells us that when God guards us and keeps us, his guarding is not the guarding of a stern-faced soldier or a hired hand or some sort of militant who stands outside the door of our house with his face looking very serious. The guarding that God gives us is the guarding of someone who loves us. When he sees us, his face lights up. All of his care for us, all of his urge to keep us comes from the fact that we are his delight. And his delight in us is so great that it spills over into grace. Finally, line three. God turns his face towards us and gives us peace. You've also heard that one translated as lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you peace. So turns or lifts, the same Hebrew word. And the sense of that Hebrew word, turn, has a sense of burden or carrying something or lifting something. So there's a sense of not just turning his face towards us, but turning it in a way that makes it inconvenient or difficult for him. Maybe like sometimes when you see something particularly awful, you want to turn your face away. This is a blessing that promises that the Lord will turn his face towards even those awful things. From the New Testament perspective, this third line of the blessing foreshadows Jesus and how he turns his face towards Jerusalem. Remember that? Luke 9, verse 51. He turns his face towards Jerusalem. He sets his face towards Jerusalem to die for his broken people. From a New Testament perspective, that third line of the blessing foreshadows Jesus giving his face to be spat upon and struck for us and for our salvation. And it points ahead to a blessing on the cross that will give us peace, the last word of the blessing. When you dig into the words of the Aaronic blessing, you realize that all of God's salvation history is suggested by these simple, beautiful words that you've been hearing your whole life. And maybe that's why, in verse 27, the Lord tells us that, that when a minister, when the priest lifts up his hands over you and offers you this blessing, he puts his name on you. That's what's happening to us. That's what's being transferred by God to us in that blessing. Those words aren't just words in our ears. It's God impressing his name on your heart. Here's an interesting fact. In the Jewish tradition, this blessing is still said and has been said for millennia at the end of morning prayers. So that the people would come to the temple or they'd come to the synagogue and they'd be bleary-eyed and they'd be waking up and they'd try to get themselves together and they'd go through the morning prayers and at the end of the morning prayers, the rabbi would lift up his hands and bless the congregation with the words of the Aaronic blessing. In many synagogues still today, when the priest blessed, 
he holds his hands like this. I, don't know, I hope you can see my hands. He holds his hands like this over the people when he says that blessing. Now, that's a weird way to hold your hands. Why does he hold them like this? Well, this is an approximation of the Hebrew letter shin, which is sort of a, um, an off-center W, okay? That's the shin. And he holds it up, the letter shin, because that's the very first letter in the word name. He holds his hands like up, like this, to remind the congregation that the Lord is pressing his name on your hearts. There's something so beautiful about that. All these people gathering at the beginning of the day, their heads full of their worries, and the Lord lifting up his hands over them and saying, I know you're, you're going out into a hard world, I know there's trials and troubles ahead. Don't be afraid. My hand is on your shoulder. My face is turned towards you. My name is on your heart. Fourth thing. Blessing is something we could do for each other. We don't do it much. I don't know why. I don't. Most of us don't bless each other. We pray for each other. We greet each other. But blessing each other isn't something that we do anymore, and that's too bad because there's a peculiar power to blessing another person, especially when you don't know what else to say to them or do for them. It reminds me of um, the book Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. I know many of you have read this book. In the book Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, what, what it is is essentially a long uh, novel-length memoir or letter written by a minister. And the minister's name is, is Reverend John Ames. He's an older man who married a younger woman late in life, and he has a young son. And so the whole book is, is a letter to that young son to read when he dies. And a good part of uh, the letter is about uh, Reverend Ames' godson, whose name is Jack. Jack is the son of Reverend Ames' best friend, and Reverend Ames promised to take care of him, and he tries to fulfill his job, but it's really hard because Jack is a pain in the neck. Jack literally torments Reverend Ames. And when he's young, he does things like he fills up his mailbox full of wood chips and then lights it on fire. Or he comes in the middle of the night and paints the good Reverend's porch with molasses. Don't try these things at home. <laughs> he was constantly doing what, what uh, Marilyn Robinson calls mischief bordering on harm. So there's a little bit of an edge to his pranks. And when he gets older, it gets worse. Turns into joyriding and drinking and mayhem. And finally, he gets a girl pregnant and he has to leave town. Years and years later, he comes back and Reverend Ames tries to, to engage the now adult Jack and try to come around him and tries to, to, to connect with him so, so he can get Jack back on the right path, but it's really hard. It doesn't seem to ever go the way he imagines it. And it's partly because Jack holds Reverend Ames at, at arm's length, but it's also partly, Reverend Ames realizes, because of his own hurt. He's still a little bit mad at Jack, so they, they just never quite connect. And that 
is like a lot of human relationships, right? We have, all, we have people in our life who we want to connect with for good reasons and we struggle to sometimes. It's an example of that kind of relationship. Well, finally, Jack decides to leave town. He's been there for a year or something and he's going to leave. And Reverend Ames does one last nice thing for adult Jack. He decides he'll take him to the bus station to see him off. And the two of them end up sitting on a bench at the bus station making awkward conversation and then lapsing into silence. Here's what happens. And now I'm going to read from the book, from the novel. And this is Reverend Ames' voice. I didn't know how to continue the conversation, but I didn't want to leave him. In any case, I had to sit down on the bench beside him on account of my heart. So there we were. I said, if you would accept a few dollars of that money of mine, you'd be doing me a kindness. He laughed and he said, I suppose I could see my way clear. So I gave him $40 and he kept 20 and gave me 20 back. We sat there for a while. And then I said, the thing I would like actually is to bless you. He shrugged. What would that involve? Well, as I envisage it, it would involve placing my hand on your brow and asking the protection of God for you. But if it would be embarrassing, there were a few people on the street. No, 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 no he said. That doesn't matter. And he took his hat off and he set it on his knee, and he closed his eyes and lowered his head and almost rested it against my hand. And I did bless him to the limit of my powers, whatever they are, repeating the benediction from Numbers, of course. The Lord maketh his face to shine upon thee and be gracious to thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Nothing could be more beautiful than that or more expressive of my feelings. And then, when he did not open his eyes or lift up his head, I said, Lord, bless John Ames Boughton, this beloved son and brother and husband and father. And then he sat back and looked at me as if he were waking out of a dream. This is such a beautiful scene. If you read the whole novel, it's overwhelming. And it speaks of the power of blessing, especially when you have a person, you don't know what to say to them anymore, you don't know what to do for them anymore, and you're not even sure what to pray for them anymore. That You might be able to just lay a hand on the shoulder and bless them in the name of the Lord and remind them whose name is pressed on their heart and who holds them in his hands. Last point. I want to take us to the end of the Gospel of Luke. Do you remember how the Gospel of Luke ends? All the disciples are there and Jesus is there in the vicinity of, of Bethany and they're talking together and then do you remember what happens? Jesus is lifted up to heaven in their presence and do you remember what Jesus does as he's lifted up? 
Luke says he raises his hands and he blesses them. Now, what blessing do you think our heavenly high priest spoke over those disciples as he was taken up into heaven? It had to be these words, didn't it? And as he was raised up and spoke over those 11 gathered there, I'm sure it wasn't just the 11 he saw. I think it was rank upon rank upon rank of disciples from every nation and every tribe and every language who would bear his name for all the eons to come until he returned to make all things new, including me and including you. He lifted his hands over all of us and said, I bless you and keep you. I make my face to shine upon you, to be gracious to you. I turn my face toward you, and I give you my peace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the depths that live inside your word. We thank you for the hope and the promise that are contained in these particular words. Or we have a daily sense of how we strive with all our might to be your people, but how at bottom we are desperately in need of your blessing. Lord, hear our prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.